At this time, we're going to get ready to receive our tithes and offerings. And we're so glad that you're joining us online on whatever platform that you may be watching this. We're so thrilled that you are part of our service tonight. You know, there's a story in the Bible and there's a scripture that always speaks to me whenever I read it. It's about treasure. I don't know about you, but I remember being a kid wanting to be a pirate and you're looking for treasure and you go on a treasure hunt. I remember uh, one time we were in school and we did a treasure hunt and at the end of it, uh, there was a big container filled with ice cold Capri Sun juice. And it was hot and so we had to do all these things and, and uh, we had to find our way to the treasure. And I remember when we found the treasure, uh, one group found the treasure and we, we, they started yelling about it. And then everybody just stopped looking at their maps and just ran to where everybody else was at and they jumped into the bushes, they found the Capri Sun and we tanked it. And you know what I remember the most about that though is I was, it was a hot day. It was hot. It was sunny. We were all sweating. We were miserable. And we found the Capri Sun, and we jumped in, and we were like, yeah, we found the treasure. And then we drank it all. And you know what happened after that? We are still thirsty. You see, the, the scripture I'm alluding to in the Bible is where Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is also. And you know what's so amazing is when, we come, when it comes to God, it's so easy to understand one simple thing. The greatest treasure in our entire lives will be him. And when we understand that with joyful hearts, we know that as we give unto him, we're investing in what God has, not just for us, but for other people. And what a joy it is. Can I tell you this right now? In the last few months, hundreds, hundreds of people have come to know Jesus. Hundreds of people have been watching services online. And they've been receiving a treasure that will never, ever fade. It's because of your hearts to give. Now you may be wondering, well, how do I give? How can I, how can I give unto the Lord? And well, we here at New Hope Church, we have four ways that you can give. We have our website. We have our app that you can download on your smartphone. We're even still receiving checks that you can write to our church office here at 840 Kupalau Road. As well as we have text to give, which will help you set up a profile so that you can continue to give and be a part of what God is doing. And what a joy it is to know that lives are being changed. That's the greatest treasure. Would you join me as we pray for our tithes and offerings tonight? Lord, we come before you right now, Lord. And Lord, we thank you for being the greatest treasure that we will ever have in our lives. And so when it comes to tithes and offerings, Lord, we give. We give not because of what we have here, but because of all the things that you have for and so, Lord, we give you our tithes and offerings, Lord. We thank you so much that we get to partner with you so that you can reach people, that you're changing people's lives. And what a joy it is to be part of your plan to reach those far from you. And, Lord, I pray right now that you would bless those who give and let them know that what they're doing right now has eternal rewards because your heart, your treasure is us. And so we love you, Lord, and we look forward that even in this season, we know you're going to continue to do great things because you are our great God. We love you, Lord. We thank you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said, amen. Well, tonight, Pastor Sheldon is continuing in our series on our Wednesday nights. We're going through the entire Bible. And we're still in the Old Testament. And we're going to take a look at the book of Obadiah. 
The book of the prophet Obadiah. This is the shortest book in the whole Old Testament. It's a mere 21 verses. And at first glance, it does not look very promising. It's a series of divine judgment poems against the ancient people of Edom, which was a nation that neighbored Israel on the other side of the Dead Sea. However, there is way, way more going on here. So first, here's the backstory. The people of Edom were unique because they had a shared ancestry with the Israelites. They both belonged to the family of Abraham, who, with Sarah, had their son Isaac, who, with his wife Rebekah, had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, the book of Genesis told us the story of these two brothers, and to say the very least, they had a tense relationship. They each later received the names Israel and Edom, which eventually became the name of the families that descended from them. And these families replayed the same difficult relationship of their ancestors. Israel and Edom had enormous tensions throughout the centuries, but they still shared that family bond. And it's that bond that was betrayed and shattered in the tragic events of Jerusalem's fall to Babylon. So when Israel was invaded and conquered by Babylon, the people of Edom took advantage by plundering other Israelite cities and then capturing and even killing Israelite refugees. Now in other prophetic books, God held Israel's neighbors accountable for this kind of violence. And so here, Obadiah does the same for Edom. The short book has two halves. The first part is a series of accusations against the leaders of Edom, specifically for their pride and self-exaltation. Literally, as they lived up high in the desert rocks, but also metaphorically, they truly believed they were superior to the Israelites. And it's that pride that led the Edomites to not just stand idly by when Babylon came to destroy Jerusalem, but actually to participate in the destruction. And so God says through Obadiah that Edom will be brought down from their height and destroyed. As they have done to Israel, so it will be done to them. Now, right when you think you're going to hear more about how Edom will meet its doom, the topic suddenly shifts in verse 15. We hear this, the day of the Lord is near against all nations. Now, why do we all of a sudden shift from Edom now to all nations? This first is a hinge piece, and it links the first half of the book to the second half, where Obadiah announces the day of the Lord, but not only for Edom. He widens his focus to include all nations. And Obadiah says that all prideful nations that act like Edom will face God's justice in the same way. They'll fall from their prideful heights and come to ruin. Now, the combination of these two sections, one about Edom, the other about all nations, shows us why Obadiah was so interested in this tiny southern neighbor of Israel. Obadiah sees Edom's pride and fall as an example, an image, of how God will one day confront the pride of all nations and bring about their fall, too. It's hardly coincidental that in Hebrew, the word Edom, or Edom, is spelled with the exact same letters as the word humanity, or in Hebrew, Adam. In Obadiah, Edom's rise and fall is a parable of how God's justice will one day oppose pride and violence among all nations in the day of the Lord. But as in all the prophets, God's judgment is never his final word. Specifically, remember the conclusion of the two books that came right before Obadiah, Joel and Amos. Joel had painted a picture of what will happen after the day of the Lord against all nations. He said that God would perform a new act of salvation in Jerusalem and that all who humbled themselves and called upon him would be delivered. And in the conclusion of Amos, he said that after the day of the Lord has judged Israel's evil, God would raise up the house of David and build a new kingdom for Israel that would include Edom and all the nations called by my name. 
And so the book of Obadiah has been placed right after Joel and then Amos to expand on these very promises about the hope of God's kingdom over all of the nations. And so the book concludes with a very hopeful future. God says he's going to restore his kingdom over the new Jerusalem, that he'll repopulate it with a faithful remnant. And then from there, God's kingdom will expand to include all the territory and nations around Israel. And so this little book contributes to the larger portrait of God's justice and faithfulness that we're seeing in the prophets. The ancient pride and betrayal of the people of Edom becomes an example of the greater human condition, all of the ways that we betray and hurt each other and God's good world. But there's hope, Obadiah says. Edom's downfall points to the day when God will deal with evil in our world, but also bring his healing kingdom of peace over all the nations. And that's what the book of Obadiah is all about. Well, as you can tell, these two nations were at ends, but Edom, still carrying on that grudge between Jacob and Esau, never realized that they were just shooting themselves in the foot. They kept doing things that were against God, as well as they're attacking God's people. So there's no blessing for them. And when I read and go through the book of Obadiah, even though a short book, it is still filled with God's promises. What is amazing about this story is that it really shows how God works when one follows him and one disobeys him. When one does their very best, even though making mistakes, to stay in line with God and one who purposefully does things. Tonight, I want to encourage you to really think through these things, pride and God's promises. Now, where would we rather be? Still in our pride or receiving God's promises? Because God's promises, even though we may not see how it works, God's promises is a greater reward than our own pride. Even though at times we may feel like our pride is all we have, well, the more we hang on to our pride, the more we are releasing God's promises. You can't have both. My heart tonight and our encouragement tonight is as we get into the book of Obadiah, we will learn and see how we can be people who not only receive God's promises, but realize that we've been given an inheritance. And what stops that is our pride. Talk about pride and, and fighting and, and when there are opposing views and perspectives, which is where we are right now in our nation. This might be in your very own family, where right now, as we enter into September soon, we're getting closer to the ending of the year. Uh, November is election time. Uh, kids are back in school, which is a whole other story. But we're, we're kind of ending the year, and even though we're going through this pandemic and trying to figure out where we are, there is still so much to be accomplished. And even in our very own homes, there are opposition. There is, there is uh, differences and different views and, and different perspectives. But at the root of all of the fighting and disagreements can also be that word pride. When my two boys were younger, they would, uh, I would play this game with them. It was called Clue. And so we would write on Post-its post-it notes and stick it all over the house and there will be clues so when they found the first clue they would read it and it would take them to the next clue and then the next and so forth and as they're going they have to figure it out together they have to figure out what is the next clue and where is it 
Now, there are times where they disagreed. There were times where they argued about it. But even though they disagreed and argued about it, they were still on the same page of the assignment of the final goal. The final goal was to find the last post-it because the last post-it would show what their reward would be. And more often than not, it usually, you can ask them to this day what that final reward was. It was usually cookies. I'm sure Heidi was already saying it, Heidi. I know you've been saying it. You probably knew already what it was. But it was cookies, freshly baked cookies. Now, I love that game because I could, <laughs> I could benefit from it. The whole goal was to go through this game to get the cookies. But if they kept fighting, nobody got cookies except Daddy. And <laughs> I was good with that. But that was on them. They were the ones who had to figure things out together. In this world, we're going to have differences. We're going to go from one thing to the next, one political view to the next political view, one incident to the next incident. And if we can remember as believers the goal of our instruction to love with a sincere faith, the goal of our instruction to, to make disciples, the goals that God gave to us, the, 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 the result of us being believers so that people can glorify, so that we can glorify God, so that people find Him, the result of people being saved, the result of people's lives bearing fruit for the glory of God. When we think of those things, it'll help us during all of the differences that we have. That we may have differences, we may disagree with certain things, but as believers, what is our final goal? And then in the end, God gives us our final rewards. He is the one who rewards us to those who diligently seek after him. With Israel and Edom, because they were at ends, they kept fighting. Well, more Edom with Israel. Just with that bitterness, the grudge against Israel, because Esau was deceived. His birthright given away. That was their history of the Edomites. And they never let it go. They held on to what went wrong in their history rather than looking forward to what can go well in their future. And they were stagnant and never prospered to their fullest potential. See, God gives us stories like this so that, and, and events like this so that when we read it, we can learn from it and then move forward into God's promises. Fighting gets us nowhere, which is what Edom experienced. See, we can receive God's inheritance, His promises for us by humbling ourselves before Him and to understand these two things. Here's the first thing. Pride poisons. That's what pride does. Pride poisons. It doesn't do anything good for us. Pride causes us to participate in destruction. That's what Obadiah was saying that the Lord was showing him, that you're only causing yourself to head towards destruction. I mean, look at what's happening in our very own nation with riots, shooting, crime, innocent children being shot because of the poison of pride. Someone's heart is just prideful. In the first verse with Obadiah, the vision of Obadiah, this is what the sovereign Lord says about Edom. 
we have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, let us go against her for battle. So that was already in the nature of Edom, to go against the Israelites. Let's, let's do battle with the Israelites. See, pride causes us to drink the poison expecting someone else to get sick and die. That's what pride is. We think it's going to happen to the other person. No, it's self-destructive. See, pride will face God one way or another. We will all stand before God one day. Either I'm going to stand before Him with pride or I'm going to lay down my pride at His feet so He can bring in His power and humility into our lives. Or we can shake our fist at God and He will confront our pride. And he does it with grace. But when he confronts my pride, and when I fall, because we will, that pride and that fall will be used to bring humility into our lives. It's up to us, though. Either we will humble ourselves before God, or he's going to humble us before him. See, pride is not healthy for any individual, especially for the believer. The pride of man and the pride of a person will always lead to the fall of a person. There's, there's no other way. The Bible says that pride comes before a fall. So when you see pride happening in your own life, that's God's warning light that the fall is about to happen. It's like the gas gauge, the light that comes on in our car. When the gas light comes on, what do we do? Do we feel gas? (laughs) For some of us, we're like, you know what? I can make it home. It's only two miles away. I got 11 miles left in in the gas tank. So I I can do this. I can do this. Here's the problem with that way of thinking. We think that after we go home, the next day we're just going to go back to where we were or work, which is maybe two, three miles away, or we can go back to the gas station. What if an emergency comes up and you have to go 16 miles away and you don't have enough gas? See, what pride does is that pride is the warning light that comes on and you think you can control the situations thereafter. I see the light coming on, but I'm okay because I did this before. Nothing happened. I'm okay. I can continue on. Nothing happened. And next thing you know, you ran out of fuel and comes the fall. God is so gracious. He will come and bring, (laughs) he'll bring extra fuel to fuel our lives. And he'll do that because he's that good. But I'd, I'd rather... I'd rather humble myself before God and be refueled by Him before I run out of fuel in my life, before the fall. Now, we, I'm, I'm sure we can all agree to that. It sounds easy, but it's, it's, it doesn't always happen that way. Sometimes pride comes up so quickly that next thing you know, we're, we've fallen. And then we're thinking to ourselves, how did I end up here? Obadiah says it like this in verses 6 and 7. But how Esau will be ransacked his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. That's what pride does. 
Pride causes us to be in a situation where when the fall is about to happen, sometimes we can't even detect it. God says that's why it's so important for us to understand that the, how the ways of God works and the laws of God. In verse 10, it says, Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame. You will be destroyed forever. I don't want to be destroyed forever. I think, I think we all want to have a, 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 a wonderful life, a beautiful life, a, a life that is blessed by God. It's like for us as husbands, and if you're, if you're married and you're a man, as a husband, sometimes we refuse to love our wives just like how the Bible tells us to, which is how Christ loved the church and that he gave himself up for her. Christ died for the church, which is in Ephesians chapter 5. The Bible instructs us how, as husbands, to love our wives. Same thing with the wives. It, the Bible instructs wives how to love your husbands. It gives us this. In, in, in fact, in verse 21, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, this, here's a principle here. Because that word submit is a Greek military word and a term meaning to arrange in troop divisions in a, in a military fashion under the command of a leader. But for a non-military use, it was a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. Now notice the, the second to the last one. Assuming responsibility. It seems that right now in our nation, nobody wants to be responsible for their own things. It's always somebody else's fault. It's the Democrats. It's the Republicans. It's this person in Congress. It's that, it's that person. Or it's these people. It's that organization. And everybody's doing this while in our very own homes. We're not taking responsibility. You see, it'll always come back to the pride of a person, of a human being. Here's the encouragement Romans chapter 15, verses 4 through 6, says, For everything that was written in the past, which is the book of Obadiah, was written to teach us so that through the endurance, the endurance, don't forget that word, endurance can be likened to patience. The endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other, toward each other that Christ Jesus had so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, if you, if you really want to know why the Bible was written, here it is. God gave us these scriptures so that we might have hope so that we could endure, so that we would be encouraged, so that we would have one mind, one voice that would glorify God in Christ Jesus. The question is this, how are we loving people? How are we witnessing to people? Or do we just blend in with the world and we're sucked into the grumbling attitude? Or are we people who have hope? How are we responding when someone doesn't agree with us? How are we responding when someone doesn't see from our perspective how do we respond when someone votes differently than us or says, I don't know why you're doing that. I don't know why you're voting for that person. Or are you insane? You know, how do we respond to people who have different views than us, even different beliefs? Will we still disciple someone even if they never receive Jesus Christ? 
because pride will do that. Pride will think of self. In verse 12, it says, You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor blast or, or nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. I was thinking of, you know, uh, just blasting people with negativity. Eh, that can be said that way too. But you know what the scripture is telling us? That are we happy when something bad happens to someone who did something bad? When we see something happen, like a, like a short video, and someone went through uh, something horrific, but because they had some type of track record of being bad, then we say, well, they deserve that. Well, how do we respond to that? Or if you, if, you, if you were in some type of, like Jacob and Esau, you went through a rift in your relationship, and something bad happens to that person, are you happy? Are you saying, yeah, good for them, see? Is that, is that our heart? Because that's what... The whole book of Obadiah is all about just comparing Edom and, and Israel, Jacob and Esau. That God wants us to be different. He wants us to see his promises, not walk in our pride. And when we walk in God's promises, we'll be able to detect those moments where our pride can bring destruction. Now, I don't believe in karma, although the results are kind of the same when, when Obadiah talks about this. I don't, I don't believe in if you do something bad, something bad is going to happen to you. I mean, if you punch one guy in the face here in Hawaii, you, you may get hit back. I just, I'm just saying. You smack one tit in the face, you might go on, you know, knee to the jaw. Something like that might happen. So, I get it. But karma believes that it's, it's a moral law that if you're doing something bad, it's going to be returned to you. But sometimes we don't see that happening. We see many people doing bad things and nothing happens to them. And we see many good people doing good things and bad things happen to them. I do believe in this, though. I do believe in the Word of God that states this in verse 15. The day of the Lord is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will return upon your own head. Just think about the season we're in. We're all trying to do our very best to make things work, whether it's at our workplace, whether it's in churches, in our homes. And by the way, we're going to be doing training for home groups, so keep your eyes and ears open for that. And we're going to be talking about the vision of what home groups will look like, as well as what we call DS1, Disciple Someone, and where we get to disciple people. And it's going to be such a great thing that we can do together as a church. But when we think of all that we're going through in this season, we're all trying to make things work out. We're trying to do our very best with what we have. And by the way, I do want to say, way to go, teachers. If you're a teacher, we applaud you right now. We thank you. Teachers, I've been hearing parents saying, I, I love the teachers. I, I, can't I can't understand how they can do this every single day. And I hear you teach because my grandchildren will be at our houses, at our house for a couple of days just to help them with their uh, school. And man, we have great teachers here. You're singing with them. You're you're mentioning them by name. You're doing games with them. You're you're helping them with words. And you have so much patience 
It's funny because sometimes the parents forget that they're unmuted and they're snapping at their kids. They're, they're grumbling and they're complaining and then they come on the video. Oh, yeah, hi, everything is great. Oh, oh I wasn't muted. Oh, so, sorry. We're all making mistakes along the way. But the good thing is that we, the only way we can do this is together. This is where we are. A lot of good things are happening. Even though we're in a season that bad things are happening. I'd say let's look at what is good. And we can problem solve the things that are going bad. So if someone is in your home and they're a teacher, can you just tell them on behalf of everyone, thank you. Thank you for putting all the work into it, even though the schedule had to change the next day putting all the work into logging on, even though one-third of the kids probably couldn't find their way on, helping everybody to get on, you know, Zoom and Google Meets and all of these foreign words that for many of us, we don't even know what that means. But you are doing your very best as a teacher, and we want to say thank you. And I didn't want to go on with the night without saying thank you because God is using you in tremendous ways. You keep going. God is using you. He's going to strengthen you through this season. And our children are going to learn even in an environment of unthinkable creativity. We're thinking well. So I know that you're doing your very best. Even as grandparents, aunties, uncles, uh, you're, you're doing your very best. Some of you are like, I don't want to have any part with this. I'm going to go. I'll be back later. And that's fine. Everybody's trying their very best. But that's the heart of God, that we would do this together. The second thing that God brings because of Edom's, if we think of Edom's grudge and their grudge against Israel, which only brought destruction to themselves, we've got to understand this, that God's promises bring health. It's not going to be a grudge against someone or, or trying to bring destruction to somebody else. Or Even though we're in this season, even with school at home, that, yeah, many of us have a lot of suggestions. But as we learn and grow together in this season, let's look for how we can support one another because God still promises His healing in His kingdom and His peace for every single one of us, regardless of what the situation is. And He promises this in the book of Obadiah for all the nations. That's His promise to us. In verse 17, He says, But on Mount Zion will be deliverance. It will be holy, and Jacob will possess his inheritance. You and I have an inheritance that comes from the Lord, a life filled with joy, forgiveness, salvation, eternal life, inner peace. Now, in a legal sense, uh, when a family member dies, that inheritance refers to an actual property or goods given to the individual. Jewish inheritance customs were linked to family bloodlines. Greek and Roman laws also provided for the transfer of family possessions through the adoption of an heir. So you could be adopted into the family and you could still receive an inheritance. For us, not only have we been adopted into God's family, but we are His children. And we have been given an inheritance. We, we receive spiritual blessing and promises from God as our inheritance. Now in the theological sense, to inherit means to receive an irrevocable gift with an emphasis on the special relationship between the benefactor and the recipients. So there was a connection there. Which is why Jesus had to die. There is no releasing of the inheritance unless the benefactor dies. 
God owns it all, paid for it all, so that we could receive it all. Obadiah's vision concludes with the promise of restoration for the remnant of Israel, the, the few that are left. The promise of people moving to claim territories formerly occupied by territories. That was God's promise. He said, you're going you're gonna to reclaim the land. In verse 19, he says, people from the Negev, which was a desert area, will occupy the mountains of Esau, and people from the foothills will possess the land of the Philistines. They will occupy the fields of, Ephra of Ephraim and Samaria, and Benjamin will possess Gilead. So God is showing them the future hopes. In verse 21, it says that deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. It's going to be the Lord's. See, God's promise for all those who are His comes with an inheritance that there are rewards, eternal rewards, and the kingdom will not be ours where others are more powerful to take us over. The kingdom will belong to the Lord, for it is His, and no one can overtake Him. That when we're a part of His kingdom as, as husbands and wives, if you're a single person, if you're a child, an adult, God's kingdom will be established. James chapter 4, verse 6 and 10 says that He gives grace, more grace, that is why the scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Therefore, hum humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. That's what we can do tonight. Humble ourselves before God. Come with a contrite spirit, a broken spirit, a spirit that says, God, I don't know everything. I don't have everything together. You might be addicted to something. You might be living in sin. You might be doing something that is not pleasing to God. Maybe you doubt God. You have fear of mankind. And, and you, you, maybe you feel rejected by God. Or you feel unworthy to be in the presence of God. Whatever it is. Whatever is causing you not to be close to God. doesn't matter what the situation is. It boils down to pride. Because pride refuses to come to God. Humility, though humility will always win over pride no matter how strong pride is so we can come before the mighty hand of God and even though Obadiah is the shortest book in the Old Testament it comes with an eternal promise of God's kingdom we're going to pray for that tonight would you bow your heads with me Lord God we do thank you for your word we thank you that even though a short book like Obadiah, as short as it is, even though it's not filled with so many events that took place, we know this, that your promises are greater than our own pride. So tonight, Lord, we humble ourselves before you. We ask you for forgiveness. Wash us clean. We confess our sins to you. And, and you might want to do that right now. Maybe, maybe in, just under your breath or if you're at home, you can confess a specific sin to God. Whatever it would be, you confess it to Him specifically, whatever it is. It could be just in general, my pride, God. It could be I'm addicted to this drug. It could be an illicit relationship. It could be pornography. It could be fornication. 
It could be theft, wrong thinking, lust. You name it. You know what it is, and God does too. But he wants to empower you with humility. So when you confess it to him, he takes our pride and exchanges it for his humility. That humility was able to go to the cross, die for our sins, and be raised to life for all of eternity where Jesus sits at the right hand of the throne of God. If anything, humility is not weak at all. Humility is the strongest spiritual gift that we could ever possess that allows us to receive our inheritance. Lord God, that's our prayer tonight. We thank you again for showing us what it looks like to live with your promises rather than pride. In Jesus' name we pray. And we all said together,